0: Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you
1: let's pray together heavenly father just still my heart let each of us know that it's not about us it's about you there's nothing that we can do without you heavenly father we just rest in your care. We rest in your loving arms. And um, we just pray that you would be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, <clears throat> you guys are my middle school boys, okay? <laughs> that's, that's what I've been doing, so that's, you're, that's what I'm pretending. So I'll be watching you, all right? A <laughs> couple of you in particular I think I might be watching. We're going to be looking at Philippians, the book of Philippians, and um, look at gospel fellowship that we see there, especially in the first part of Philippians. But I'm going to start with an overview of the book of Philippians. The main theme is really encouragement. If you look at the whole book, the main theme is encouragement, specifically spiritual encouragement. And there are secondary themes, there's a number of secondary themes. two of them that we're going to see today are joy, And love or affection. And uh, I think this is going to be a real encouragement for us, okay? Um, First of all, the author. We always wonder who the author is. The author is God, but the human author is the Apostle Paul. And uh, we're going to think more about Apostle Paul as we go through this morning, but um, he was in prison as he wrote this, he was in Rome and it was probably about A.D. 62 is when he wrote the book. He's probably about 55 years old, a little younger than me, but about my age, okay? Just from my perspective, within the next five years, he's going to be executed. Paul wants to encourage these brothers and sisters of Christ that he loves. He loves these so much, he wants them to hold fast to the faith. You know, he doesn't know whether he's going to be released or executed. He's going to live or die, but he wants to prepare them for the future. So that's why he's writing this book. So who is it writing? Being written to is being written to the church at Philippi in Macedonia. This is in modern day Greece. Paul planted that church around AD 49 to 51, somewhere in there. Um, This epistle is written 10 to 12 years later after he planted the church. Okay, It was he and Silas and Timothy were the ones that actually planted the church. Um, the account of the start of the church in Philippi is recorded in Acts 16, verses 6 to 40. I, I'm sure many of you are familiar with a lot of, the, a lot of this, um, this account. Paul was on his second missionary journey with Silas and Timothy. You know, we, we read that the Holy Spirit would not allow them to speak the word in Asia. And then we read that the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go on to onto Bithynia. And then Paul has a vision in the night, if you recall, a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Well, Paul went to Macedonia. He took that as being from the Lord. So they went to Macedonia to Philippi, which is one of the cities in Macedonia. Lydia, a seller of purple goods, was the first convert with her whole household. We read about that. Paul cast an evil spirit out of a fortune-telling slave girl that was following him around and annoying him, proclaiming that they were pro- preaching the living God. Her owners lost the prophet that was available because she was able to tell fortunes, tell people's fortunes with, through the, the, the spirit in her. And so um, they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them to the magistrates. They were beaten, thrown in jail, um, And this is an interesting part of the story. In Acts 16.25, we read, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're in jail. They're praying and singing hymns to God. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. An amazing account. The jailer was about to kill himself for fear that the prisoners had escaped. Paul cried out to him, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Well, the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? After a little bit after that, his whole family was saved and baptized. So Philippi was the first church that Paul planted in Europe. A little bit more about the Philippian church. It was largely Gentile. There was no synagogue in Philippi. Consequently, we don't read of Paul meeting any opposition from Jews in Philippi. There just weren't very many Jews there. And you go to almost every one of the churches that he went to uh, when he started the towns. The Jews would would, would uh, harass him horribly, run him out of town, uh, cause physical harm to him in many cases. But in this place, that did not happen. Paul visited Philippi probably two more times after his initial visit um, during his third missionary journey. And we read about that in Acts 20, and then in Second Corinthians chapter 2, we read about those things. After Paul planted the church in Philippi, they sent him financial support three times, the last of which was right shortly before he wrote this letter. So the Philippians, just to give you a, a, a sense of the, um, of the financial stability of this community, listen to this. This is the, Philippi, the Philippians, along with churches in Thessalonica and Berea, these were the other two churches that are in Macedonia. Those three churches were in Macedonia. They gave sacrificially to support the starving believers in Jerusalem. So we, we, we read about this in, um, in, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Listen to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I mean, think about this. The grace of God is is paramount here that among these churches for in a severe test of affliction. So they're being severely tested, they're in affliction, but they have abundance of joy even through their extreme poverty and what have what happens they're overflowed in a wealth of generosity. So they gave when giving really, as we sometimes say, giving hurts. But we learn from this that this Philippian church was very poor and yet very generous. And here they are three times. They've sent financial assistance to to, um, to Paul when he's been on his missionary journeys. Them alone, it tells us. There's one unique feature of this epistle to the, to the Philippians when compared with all the other Epistles that Paul wrote to the churches. There is no big problem that Paul is pointing out to the Philippian church. So, you know, there's not doctrinal error. I mean, like he was pointing out in some, like the Corinthians and, and some of the other churches, there was no divisions within the church. I follow Apollos. I follow Paul in some of the churches we read about before. The only problem that is mentioned is that of two women who aren't getting along with each other. And this is described in Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to murder these names. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sinti to agree in the Lord. He entreats these two women to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So these ladies' names are in the book of life. They're, they're believers, and yet they're not getting along, so he pleads with them to, to get along with one another. So if you, if you want to take your Bibles, I want to, uh, look, let's look at Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to turn over to verse 27 first. And this, this is perhaps, so Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. This is perhaps the message of Philippians summed up in this in this verse, really, in these verses. Um, if you look at verse 27 there, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So here again, m- looking at that verse, manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ, he's calling them to that. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. He's calling them to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. For what? For the faith of the gospel. So we see here unity in the church. Unity in the church of Christ. Okay, Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. Here we are unified in what we're doing. And what are they doing? They're unified in the faith of the gospel. The gospel of Christ. So, So that's what they're unified in. And then here again, we see the integrity of the gospel. That is the true gospel. It is the gospel of Christ. It's not some other gospel. It is the gospel of Christ. So, and the interesting thing, what he's calling for here is unity in the gospel. And we can never have unity if we, if we, first of all, just either we don't have the gospel. That's not true unity. We're give, if you give up unity if we don't have the gospel and it's not unity, in the gospel, if the gospel is not proclaimed, or even just changed, either the, either it's not the true gospel, or if you're just not proclaiming it, or there's parts of it you're not proclaiming it, it's not the true gospel. So unity, true unity, can only come when you have the true gospel. Okay. So, and then we go on to verse 28, and I think that really is a, really the, the, the one of the main themes of this of this book. And then verse 28 kind of continues to this and says, "And not frightened in anything by your opponents." This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. so here again, don't be frightened by your opponents. that's what he's saying here. when they face opponents, what is it going to mean? It's going to be a sign from God of their salvation I mean that's this will be a clear sign to them of their destruction, their opponents, but of also of their salvation when people oppose them. It's a sign from God and so. He's urging them to fight against false teaching, false do- and with against false teachers as well. And then verse 29, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. So steadfastness, and as we read in, this other, in the book in other places, joyful steadfastness is what we really need to look at in the face of opposition and suffering. And that's what we're, what, he, what Paul is telling them they're going to face is they will face suffering and opposition. And Paul sets the example for us here, and we'll see that in a little bit. But Paul sets the example in in in, um, in uh, facing opposition and suffering. The other interesting thing about this letter to the Philippians, is it's a missionary support letter, really. Okay? And that we as a church and we as individuals often get letters from missionaries that we're supporting. We get letters from Neil and Rita Walkenfuss with Child, Evangel- Child Evangelism Fellowship. We get letters from Brandon Peterson um, with Equip. We get letters from Mark and Parker Phillips serving overseas in Africa. What are they doing? They're, they're telling us letters. They're, telling, they're thanking us for our financial and prayer support. They're Telling us of their work, they're making requests that they would like us to pray for things. Um, they're offering words of encouragement to us as well. Well, in this case, Paul was thanking the Philippians for their latest contributions sent by Epaphroditus, and, um, who is now returning to deliver this, also then to determine to deliver the Apostles' letter. So, in many ways, this is a missionary support letter, a thing that we can, can relate to. And then one other point I want to put up, point out to you is where do we find the, the center of Christ in this book? And, and, and um, he's clearly seen throughout it. I mean, the God and the gospel are, are just... I think the, the word gospel is in here like nine times or something in this book. But the point is that the Christ. there's a really a central point where they really display Christ, and that is in chapter 2. And let's, if you turn there to chapter 2, verse 6, and this is it's a classic um, treatment of, of, of Christ's um, deity and humanity and suffering and glory. And um, it's referred to as the hymn of Christ. And some believe that it may have been actually in use at the time that this was written as a hymn. And um, it, it had In in the Greek, it had meter and form just like a poem would or the words to a song. But let's look at this starting in verse 6. And this is talking about Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is the gospel. This talks about the deity of Jesus. It talks about his sinful, sinless humanity. It talks about his humiliation and suffering, his exaltation by the Father in glory. This is a beautiful picture of Christ. So this takes us to today's text. And if we look back at the beginning of the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 1, we see this is the greeting part of the letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, is the salutation? So this is who the letter is from. It's from Paul and Timothy. Paul did the writing, but he's including Timothy in the salutation because Paul and Tim- Timothy was was familiar to Paul because to the church at Philippi because Timothy was there with Paul when they planted the church. So both were there at the very beginning. You know, and Timothy has really been like a son to Paul. We read that in other places in the scriptures, and he says, "Servants of Jesus Christ." Well, and the Greek word for this really is more slaves. And um, just as Christ gave everything up for us, I mean, he in just like we just read, he became humble to the point of death on, death on a cross. The humility, the, the willingness to suffer for our sake, in that regard even, Paul and Timothy regard themselves as slaves. You know, following the example of Christ. So they look at themselves as not just servants, but slaves. Of Christ. And um, this reflects really their unity with Christ because of, because of the, his love for us, okay? To all, and the, goes, the verse goes on to say, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Well, all the saints, this is, here again, all is, is indicating um, the unity of the believers there. So he, they're writing to all of them. Um, the importance of God's, we talk about saints or God's holy people. You know, who are in Christ Jesus. So the whole focus here is, is the unity in Christ. Okay. And then it goes on to say with overseers and deacons. And here you see the biblical New Testament church structure. Overseers, these are overseers and deacons. These are the leaders of the church. Overseers, or we would call them elders today. They're charged with the spiritual oversight and teaching. And the deacons are entrusted with the matters of, of service, practical things and within the church. And then Paul goes on to say, okay, that's what he who, who are the letter's from, that's who it's to, and now he gives a greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I think every letter that Paul wrote begins with grace and peace. And, and what a way to begin a letter. Grace and peace sum up Christ's saving work. Grace, unmerited grace, well, what we don't deserve but when we get God's grace, when God gives us His grace, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that is the, the, the greatest gift we could ever, ever, ever receive. And what what do we have as a result of that? God's peace. So grace comes first, and the peace follows as a, as a benefit of God. And here the peace comes from God too. So the the life of Paul testifies to the god's grace to a man who was the worst of sinners. I remember reading about him persecuting the church and we'll look in that a little bit more here, but the grace of god is that, is really summing up Christ's work in our lives. So grace and peace are two of god's greatest gifts that come to us through the gospel. Moving on to verse 3, I thank god, my god in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. So here's Paul's first mention of joy in this letter. I think he he will mention that the word between the words joy and rejoice, they occur eleven times in this short little book. This book has four chapters, is all it's a short book. Eleven times he talks about joy or rejoice. See the joy accompanies his prayers as he remembers these people he loves. I thank my God. He's thanking God. For my remembrance of you, he remembers the people. He's he's far away in prison in Rome, and yet he remembers these people he loves in in Philippi. He and so always in every prayer, he prays with joy as he thinks of them. So joy accompanies his prayer as he remembers these people that he loves. So how how can Paul be joyful in light of his circumstances? And I and I think that's. That's maybe critical for us to think about too. How do we have joy in light, of our, in light of our difficulties we go through? So, Paul has been in prison here for about two years. He doesn't know what his fate will be. Um, let's look at some of the suffering that Paul has endured. And I think this is helpful for us to consider. Do you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 23. And we're just going to look when Paul is summarizing Some of his life. In this in this scripture, Paul is being forced by false because of false teachers in the Corinthian church to boast about his service and suffering for the advancement of the gospel. So I mean this is not he's boasting just to say, okay, this is I am a true apostle, okay? And and he's talking about these false teachers. Are they servants of Christ? In verse 23, I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, but with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, Labors, imprisonments, beatings, near death, 40 lashes, less one, beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked. Rivers, robbers, my own, danger from own people. From, I mean, everything. He lived in danger constantly. He was physically abused. He was hungry. I mean, all these things that 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 bother him, and yet he can still rejoice. He's in prison right now, and yet he still has joy. You know, and 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 if that's not bad enough, how many how many people suffer from guilt over what they've done in their past? Look at look at, and let's look at Paul. Who 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 has done worse things than Paul? Look at look at Paul's. Uh, grievous sins that he committed against believers prior to his encounter with Christ. In Galatians 1.13 we read, For you have heard of my former life with Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And then in Acts 22.4 he says, I persecuted the way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. This is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul before he met Christ on the road to Damascus. And remember the salutation that we said in this letter? It is only by the grace of God and the peace of God that allows Paul to live a joyful life, to rejoice in the Lord, to be able to have joy. It is the grace of God. It is the peace of God. So looking at Paul's example, he's in prison. And yet what does he say? Let's look at, let's go back to Philippians 1 again. What does he say in verse 3? He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. This is the same guy that just suffered all these things. He is making his prayers with joy. And why is he making them with joy? Now this is kind of fun, kind of cool. Number five, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. So partnership I'm going to give you a Greek word here the only one I know probably actually the word for partnership is koinonia and many of us have heard of that word koinonia before well it also can be translated fellowship so it's a partnership but it can also it's also a fellowship that they have with one another so so it has the idea of working together to advance the gospel to have fellowship together to advance the gospel. Your partnership in the gospel, your koinonia in the gospel, your fellowship together in the gospel. And this was um, also their partnership with him was their concern for his well-being. So their partnership was their financial support. He's, he's writing this missionary support letter to thank them for their support, right? So their partnership in the gospel, their fellowship with him, here it has the idea of them being together, even though they're physically separated, they're working together to advance the gospel. This involves their financial support and their concern for Paul's well-being. And there are there are um, a couple of instances here where I believe visitors came to visit him in um, in Rome a couple of times. And that's a great expense to them as well. I believe it was about 1,500 miles, is one of the places I read, from Philippi to Rome. And so that would be a pretty extensive trip for us today, and you can imagine what it would have been back in the in the early parts of, of the of the church. So in this verse, coming back to because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now, um, the gospel is a word that Paul uses a lot. He um, he uses it to describe the message that he was preaching, which is the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And he talks about from the first day, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, well, when he was referring to theirs, from the time of the planting of that church, when they first became Christians, that was when they started working together. So, so they have been partners since the day they came to know Christ with Paul. And that church has been faithful in serving with him. Verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So this is a familiar verse, and I know songs that are based on this verse, and it's a very encouraging verse, um, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ so what is this really about if he who began a good work in you that really describes our our salvation our justification before god when 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 a person is born again when there is the new life the new birth in your heart that you put your faith in jesus christ that at that point a person is justified before god he's considered righteous at that point before god but when we continue with that, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Well, that bringing it to completion really describes the process of sanctification. That's the process of becoming progressively more holy, becoming more like Christ. Um, the perseverance of the saints is what this is sometimes described as. But this requires God's grace. I mean, it's God's grace that we're saved and, be, and justified before God, but it's also God's grace that we are sanctified before God. So God's work in us to help us become more sanctified, more holy, more like Christ, also makes us want to work out our salvation, which is another verse that's here in in Philippians later on. Work out our salvation to become more, more more like Christ. And yet, we always have to remember, we are called to work out our salvation, but it's only God who makes us impossible to do that. So the verse, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And the final time when, we'll finally see, when we will finally see the completion of that is when we see Jesus Christ come again. That's the day of Jesus Christ. When he comes again, those of us who are dead will be raised together with Christ. It's that point when we'll finally be able to say that we're done with sin. So looking at verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. So this further demonstrates Paul's affection for the Philippians. I hold you in my heart and then that is how much he loves them. For you're all partakers with me of grace. You know, why does he feel this way about them? Well, because, because they're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Why does he have this affection for them? Because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're partakers with Paul of grace. And then he says, I hold you in my heart, for you're all partakers with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Well, to be imprisoned was a source of shame, and yet the Philippians supported Paul and even visited him. We we read that that happened. Um, And then we look at in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Well, and here he's talking about the defense of the gospel. This is responding to challenges from unbelievers And and then on the positive side, the confirmation of the gospel is strengthening the believers in their faith. And this is something that they, the Philippian church is partakers in doing. They are um, doing it through Paul, but as a church, they are doing it as well. They're partners in this regard as well. So defending the gospel and confirming the gospel. And then in verse 8 we see, For God is my witness. How I yearned for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Here again, talking about that great affection that he has for them. And in verse nine, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And, and this is really key. Love may abound and knowledge with knowledge and discernment. So what did we, what did we read about um, things in first Corinthians chapter 13? A lot of things are worthless without love, right? A clanging gong or cymbal. If we have all, anything we have without love, is worthless. But love without lo- knowledge isn't really love either. If we say we love someone and don't share the truth with them of the gospel, in love, that's not really love. So what we find here is that his prayer is that love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So it's love with knowledge and with discernment. How do you apply the knowledge? How do you apply the love? But keeping it balanced so that you have both love and knowledge used in discernment. And then we look at verse 10, "...so that you may approve what is excellent." and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So pure and blameless, that's our sanctification that we would have here again for the day of Christ when Christ returns, repeating that. So then he goes on in verse 11 to say, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God, to, to the glory and praise of God. So the fruit of righteousness that could also be translated The righteous life, and then we're looking at that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Well, in point of fact, this is we don't see the Holy Spirit specifically addressed here, but this is really the triune God. It comes through the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, um, through Jesus Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, to the glory and praise of God the Father. So it's all to the glory and praise of God the Father. So we see all three persons of the Godhead displayed there. So, the title I put on this message was Gospel Fellowship, and it wasn't a very creative title, but it was when I was reading, I found um, Warren Weersby wrote some things about the um, the gospel, this, this section that I thought were really helpful for us. And so gospelship, why? I mean, what we see in Paul's relationship with the Philippian church is gospel fellowship. Okay? So, Warren Wearsby writes this. I'm going to share a couple things he wrote. Um, he, and he talking about the fellowship of the gospel. Warren says, to be in Christ and a part of the fellowship, Christian fellowship is a source of joy when things become difficult. Here is Paul, a prisoner in Rome, yet rejoicing because of the fellowship of the gospel. And then he, and then he has three phrases that he thinks summarize these things. But what he says here is he's rejoicing because of the fellowship of the gospel. So the first phrase that he has in mind is, I have you in mind. And that comes from verses 1 through 6. Paul, and now I'm going to read Wearsby one more time. Paul was not thinking about himself. He was thinking instead about the dear saints in far off Philippi. Every memory was a blessing to him, including the suffering he experienced in the Philippian jail, as he prayed for them, he rejoiced over their salvation and growth. He knew that what Christ what Christ had begun in their lives would be completed, for Christ is the Alpha and Omega, the author and finisher of our faith. So what do we learn from this? Let's not think about ourselves. Let's think about our dear brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, and that's who, our, who we're here. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray for each other. Let's rejoice over the salvation and growth that we see in our brothers and sisters. Let us even rejoice over our sufferings. So first, Wiersbe says, you know, I have you in my mind. Now he continues with, I have you in my heart. And he takes this from verses 7 and 8. And he talks about how the Philippian church was composed of a mixed group of people, but they were bound together with love. Among them, and this is interesting, were the wealthy Lydia. I mean, she was a a seller of purple cloth. The jailer, who was likely a... um, a, probably had been a Roman soldier at one time, very likely, that's very possible. Um, And a slave girl. And who's the slave girl? Property of somebody. Who knows what her ethnicity might have been, what color of her skin would have been. We don't know, but she was the lowest, probably of everybody in that community. And yet, they all found... You know we're involved with Paul and we're impacted by him. Plus other believers, mostly Gentiles, they had all shared in the gospel ministry with Paul. Their hearts were united in their love for Christ and each other. And yet, how different they were from the Corinthian church. You know, look at the Corinthian church. When when Paul talks about the Corinthian church, this is what he find, what he taught in in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verses twenty and twenty one. He talks about the, the Corinthian church. He talks about Um, I I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish that perhaps there may be quarreling jealousy, anger, hostility slander, gossip, conceit and disorder and I fear that when I come again my God may humble me before you and that I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practiced so how different that is. We have here in, in the church in Philippi, you have people who shared the gospel ministry. Their hearts were united in love for Christ and love for each other. And you don't see that quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip. That's one of the things that we need to look at that. We need to rejoice in the fact that we're all so different from one another. I mean, different walks of life, different educational backgrounds. So many things that are different about us, and yet, we can still have fellowship. You know, And, and, and as a matter of fact, we wish we had even more diversity in our, in, our, in our fellowship. But I pray that we don't just hang out with people that are like us, that we'd step out of our comfort zone, so we get to know people that we don't know, people that we're different with, people that we don't even share some of the same interests, but we share Christ with. We need to share together the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here again, we must unite our hearts as one in the gospel. So the first thing that, that Wiersbe suggested was, I have you in my mind. The second was, I have you in my heart. And finally, Wiersbe says, I have you in my prayers. And he takes this from verses 9 to 11. See, Paul always took time to pray for the people. His prayer here is that they might live full lives. An empty Christian is a tragedy. You want to live full lives. Okay. He prayed that that they might be full of love and discernment, that they might be faithful in their daily walk, and that they might be fruitful in Christian service. This is a prayer for Christian maturity. Full of love and discernment. We talked about that. Faithful in their daily walk and how they might be fruitful in Christian service. A prayer for Christian maturity. So how do we take? Do we take time to pray for one another? Do we pray as a congregation that we would have full lives? Do we pray that we'd be full of love and discernment? Do we pray that we'd be faithful in our daily walk, do we pray for one another that our brothers and sisters would be fruitful in Christian service? So these are the challenges I think that 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 um, that we see in this book of uh, this book of Philippians in these first verses. And I think that these things I'm, I encourage you to read this book. Read the, there are so many practical things and encouraging things that we see. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, Heavenly Father we just thank you for this this message that you provided to us through the apostle paul that um that this church in philippi is an example to us father and even though even though they were not without even though they were really without big sins father you still sent paul to write to them to encourage them to be faithful to fight false teachers to to um, fight um, for the truths of the gospel, to fight for the faith, Father. We just pray that you would um, help us to do this as well, that we would recognize that even if we think we're not facing too many difficulties, Father, that we need to be ready to face difficulties, that we need to be ready to um, relate to one another, that we need to love one another with a love that is only come, possible coming from you, Father and that we would glorify you even as we reach this community for Christ. So, Father, we thank you for this message you've given us, and we pray for your blessing and your challenge to us to to become closer in our walk with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.